0: And uh, I, told, I told Eric tonight, I said, God always shares something with me right before I come up, and I just want to encourage you to think through our language here and, and celebrate recovery. We say we're celebrating recovery, meaning we're either recovered or we're recovering and we always announce ourselves as struggling. And the scripture says that whom the Son has freed is free indeed. And the 12-step program says we cease fighting anyone or anything. So, there's no struggle. We're not struggling. We're recovering. We're actively in recovery. But I just want to encourage you to think about your wording and what that conveys when we share with others. So, let's, we, we're not struggling. We're recovering, okay? Um, we're going to talk about uh, principle five and step six. So, I'm going to read those again to you. Uh, principle five says, Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. And the accompanying scripture is Matthew 5 6. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Step six says we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And James 4.10 says humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So I try to switch it up a little bit. Those of you who have heard me talk about step six before, I'm not going to do the wording breakdown of the step. We're going to go through the acrostic um, and then there's a little bit more here. but let's stop and pray uh, and just invite the Lord. Heavenly Father, just so grateful to be here this evening. Um, grateful that uh, those who could make it have made it this evening. And we pray for our family members here that aren't, aren't present. Lord, that they're well, um, that they're doing something uh, entertaining or fun, hanging out with their family. Uh, but Lord, just uh, keep them and protect them. Lord, as Eric prayed, just please speak through me this evening. Uh, let it be your will, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to thank you guys. Uh, we, the team and I are really excited and appreciative that many of you got together and met, even though we weren't here and, and open. That I know some of you met out by the cross or outside some of the doors, and that is exactly our desire and wish for you, that you would be a close, uh, cohesive group that continues recovery no matter what, and so I just want you to know that we're just excited to know that you guys had gathered here, uh, even though the doors to the church were closed uh, the last couple weeks, but we sure are glad to to be back with you tonight. Um, When we think about step six, uh, it's um, the treatment of step six sometimes uh, is just kind of glossed over. I think some of that is misunderstanding. I think some of that is that this is ultimately a difficult step that seems simple uh, on the outside. So let's talk about what it's about. Um, R stands for releasing control. So we're going to have our acrostic tonight is ready. The R stands for releasing control. Uh, As I was praying and thinking about this, control is an illusion. So we've never had control anyway. So when we're releasing control, what we're really doing is we are surrendering or letting go of the illusion that we ever had any control or could. God, God's in control. God's in charge. So what we're really doing is awaking to that fact. Um, I said here that really it's God's sovereignty and that we're submitting to it. So what is surrender? Surrender is that willing submission. It's that, re- that we're submitting to God's control. We're letting Him be in charge. We've talked in here before that a lot of people get into recovery and they think they're seeking independence because we've been dependent on a person, place, or thing. We've, been, we've had an idol. We've made an idol of something. But what we talk about in here is not independence, but the right form of dependence. And that's really what they're saying here, that we are letting go of our idol and we're putting our dependence on God. We're letting him have his rightful place in our life to be in control of our life. So when you think about step one and that surrender language, that's really submitting our control, submitting the illusion of control to God's true control of our life. So that was our release control. E is easy does it. Easy does it. My first sponsor used to say, wear the world as a loose garment. I'll say that one more time. We're, wear the world as a loose garment. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we need structure. We need a frame of reference. We need something to hold boundaries, right? We talk a lot. I know uh, in our groups, we talk a lot about healthy boundaries and what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, wearing the world as a loose garment means we, we don't let those boundaries constrict us. We don't, we don't get wound too tight. We don't become legalistic. Because we can take the very thing that's healthy and good in our life, and we can make that uh, an idol, a control in our life as well. So I want you to, if you don't remember anything else, remember that concept of wearing the world as a loose garment. The other thing that I I think easy does, it reminds us, is not to take ourselves too seriously, right? Um, I know most of my really good friends in life have a good sense of humor. And part of that good sense of humor is they're able to laugh at themselves. They're able to see uh, the, the they're able to find joy even in their mistakes and even in the things we do or say that maybe aren't the most swift thing. Right. That that we can laugh at ourselves. Don't take yourself too seriously. And again, when we're talking about recovery, uh, it's really important that we are aiming. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but that we're aiming at perfection, but not falling apart when we don't make it. Right. If, we, if we're so bound up in that and so wound up, that can send us into a tailspin and that can really send us out of recovery. So easy does it. A is accept the change. A is accept the change. And I wrote here Ephesians 4.24, right, that we're putting on the new man. But I'm reminded first of Romans 6, 6 and 7. That our old self is crucified with Christ. So unless we allow that old man to die, unless we allow, and I'm going to explain character defects in a little more detail in a few minutes, but unless we allow those character defects to die, we can't put on the new man. So we have to recognize and invite that old self to be crucified with Christ. And this is a good time for me to mention there may be someone sitting here this evening that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he died for you and he died for your sins and he died for your eternal salvation and he died for your freedom. But you have to accept that. You have to say, I believe that he did that for me. And if you'll do that, then your old self can be crucified with him as well. And then you can begin to put on the new man. I think I talked about this a week or two ago. It's a good time to mention this again. You'll hear a lot of pastors talking about, you know, we're a new creation in Christ. That's true. But that means you're you're brand new, you're still learning, you're still growing, you're still putting on that new man. I think sometimes it's kind of like, well, the old one's dead and the new one's on and you should be great and perfect and not sin anymore from this moment on. And I haven't met any Christians like that, I just haven't. Well that's because it's a process, just like our recovery is a process, putting on the new man is a process and it's a conscious process. And it's one that you're doing as a part of attending church and being in a life group and Bible studies, but it's also something you're doing here as a part of your recovery that you're putting on that new man. So acceptance then is an action word. Acceptance isn't something we sit and we allow things to come to us. It's something we do as action. It's all those things that you're doing right now as part of your recovery. And if you're not doing some of those things, that's why we talk about getting an accountability partner, a sponsor. So that you can have somebody that's helping you not only know what to do, but then encouraging you and and helping structure you on how to do that. So A is accept the change. D says, I better remember, do replace your character defects. So let's talk about character defects. Character defects are sinful, but they're not necessarily our sin. And I'll explain that. So let's take the sin of lying. Okay? Uh, Often, if you had kids, you know that's one of the first ones that pops up. Uh, And maybe you recognize that that was a big one for you as well. I know it was when I was in my addiction. Lying was a big one. So lying is a sin. Character defects are often the armor we build to protect our sin. So if if I lie and then I tell somebody else something different or I try to avoid that subject with somebody, now I'm starting to form a character defect. And so a character defect might be something like um, just kind of a dishonest, generally dishonest sort of personality, a fake personality. Uh, I'll give you a really great story I probably shouldn't tell you. I started, my wife and I first dated in high school, and then her mom remarried, and she moved away, and what's really cool is God made sure that my wife never saw me in my addiction. I was sober by the time we met up again, and when we started dating, we went out, and we were talking about our families and getting to know one another, and so my wife's name is Jessica, and Jessica said, so tell me about your Italian family and your Italian heritage. And I looked at her like she was from the moon. I'm like, what are you talking about? My family's Scotch-Irish. I'm not Italian. She goes, well, when you were in high school, you you told me you were Italian. And then I remembered that I loved gangster movies and thought it would be really cool to be Italian. So I told my wife I was Italian. That was a humbling moment. I I did. I looked at her like she was nuts. So... uh, (laughs) And, and there was no reason to lie about my background or who I was, but that character defect, that sin of lying had become the character defect of this fake persona and this way that I sort of walked through life. So I don't know if I'm doing a good job of differentiating for you, because I said character defects are sinful, but they're not necessarily directly our sin. So when we talk about ridding ourselves of our character defects, we are often talking about deep-rooted parts of who we are there's a talk that I do that maybe I'll do sometime in the near future about what we call core beliefs. Character defects are directly tied to our core beliefs, and that's why they're so hard sometimes to root out, and why I believe the human will can't do it. It really does have to be divine. It really has to be God that roots this stuff out of us. Our job is to become willing to let them go, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, too, and and into next week. But A core belief, if you're wondering, is something like, I'm not acceptable as I am, so I must lie about myself. That would be the core belief tied to the character defect and the sin of lying. So those things all run deep in us and they're rooted. And what we try to do is we try to mow them down with a lawnmower like a dandelion. Well, what happens when you mow over dandelions? Not only do they come back, but they come back with a seed head and you have more dandelions than you ever had before. So, we have to get down on our hands and knees, and we have to do the work to root these things out. You did a lot of that work in four and five when you recognized and named your character defects so when we when we talk about replacing them, um, and it was funny because I thought I was coming up with something new, and then they had this in the book but <laughs> it's matthew twelve forty five and the idea that if, if we have a spirit, right, it says if you, if you go in and you clean out a spirit, but you put nothing in its place, it'll go get seven friends and come back and you'll be worse off than you were before. Well, that's just what we said with the seed head, right? If you try to mow it down, you, you don't address it, you don't allow God to change it and replace it, then you're going to end up worse off than you were before. And the easiest way, but not the simplest way to say this, is that you're, you are replacing a spirit, right? It, you could almost say what I shared with you just a minute ago is a spirit of lying. Well, the only replacement for that is the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, right? And often what we're talking about is replacing these character defects with the Holy Spirit, allowing God to fill up these gaps. So I'll go back through what we've done so far. R is release control. E is easy does it, A is accept the change, and D is do replace your character defects. The final one, Y, in are ready, is embrace the positive change and accept the responsibility. And I'll just read John 3, 9 here. The person who has been born into God's family does not make a practice of sinning because now God's life is in him. So he can't keep on sinning for this new life has been born into him and controls him. He has been born again, John 3, 9. Becoming entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character means that I have put my place in the kingdom and the work that God has for me over my desires. Because our character defects are designed to keep away what we don't want and get what we do want. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about protecting me. It's all about guarding my secrets. It's all those things. So in order to become entirely ready to let these things go, I have to desire stronger to have God be in control of my life and to be of maximum service in his kingdom over what I desire. And I always use the example that when I started looking for churches to serve in, I felt I was working in a housing authority at the time. I had had my seminary degree for several years. I had interned in churches, but I had never worked full time in a church. And I really felt in my spirit that God was saying, it's time. You're going to go work full-time at church. Well, I can tell you I didn't start my search in southern Indiana. I'm just going to be honest with you. I started my search in southern California, and God said, why don't you let me worry about where, and you worry about what, and here I am. It was either I could go back to doing things my way, or I could say, what's God's will? What's God's calling? Where is he sending me? Where does he want me? Right? And that's our choice every day about everything. We may not think it. But God cares about and wants to know about and wants to be involved in every choice we make and everything we do because he has plans for our life. Now, when I, when I hear that, what I want to think is he has, he has my plans for my life. That's not what it says. It says he has plans for your life. Right? Now, he says they'll prosper you because when you do what God wants you to do and you're in his will, you prosper. But it doesn't say his plans for your life are your plans for your life. It says he has plans for your life, right? And so character defects are things that are standing directly opposed to God's ability, not that he doesn't have the power, but he will not run roughshod over you. He will not force you. He will not coerce you, and he won't control you because you have free will. So he's waiting till you're ready to lay these down, So that he can begin to see those plans come to fruition through and in you. And then, and only then, can he prosper you. Does that make sense? I don't know what this has to do with this, but I wrote it down, so I'm going to read it. Uh, Spiritual maturity is a paradox. As we grow less childish, childish, we grow more childlike. As we grow less childish, we grow more childlike, right? Jesus tells us plain and simple, if you want to enter heaven, you have to be like one of these kids. You have to be childlike. Well, I've spent most of my life being childish, throwing tantrums because I don't get my way, lying, cheating, stealing to get what I want, right? Those are all things of a child. But the other part of children, which is awesome, is their wonder with life. I love talking to kids about their faith in Christ. There's no question. There's no doubt. They don't worry about stuff. They don't worry about what people think. They don't care if you believe necessarily or not because they do. They talk to him. I always talk to my 10-year-old. If you talk to God today? It's, I'm prompting him to praise. He goes, to sleep. I've already talked to him. i have been talking to him all day. And then I feel guilty because I haven't been talking to him all day. So As we begin to put these childish things down, because that's what our character defects are, and we allow the Holy Spirit to move in, we find that we become the people that God wants us to be. We must let go of the need or desire to stay sick and fearful. We must make progress in wisdom. We must examine ourselves. How many people got to hear Caleb this weekend? We're here at church. I don't think it's posted yet, but if you did not get to hear that, you need to to tune into that message. What a fantastic message. And he prompted – he's been around recovery. I know he has. I heard a lot of it as he was talking. It was good stuff. And he talked about the importance in knowing ourselves and being honest about who we are. And I always remembered this quote. um, I think it's uh, Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I would say it differently. I would say those who do not examine their life are not living. Because you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing, why you're making the choices you're making, why you're with the person you're with. You may not even know why you're showing up to church. So we have to examine our lives. And we did that. I hope you did that before you're on this step in steps four and five. And you did that so that you would have wisdom to put down the things that you need to put down so you can pick up what God has for you some of us believe the truth about ourselves is that we are garbage there are people sitting in this room who feel they have no self-worth who think they're garbage and they just hope that nobody really knows that or notices it and sometimes that's what keeps us stuck yeah we want to experience the joy of the lord yes we want to experience freedom yes i want to be on fire yes i want to serve in the kingdom but I don't think I deserve it. And our character defects often hide that feeling or that what we think is the truth about us. And one of the things that Caleb really drove home is who you are in Christ is the really the only important thing you need to know about yourself. What I see when I look out is window dressing. That's it. It doesn't go with you. You get a new upgraded model. Thank goodness, as I'm looking in the mirror as I get older. Um, But that's not what's important. This doesn't define you. And your recovery doesn't define you. And the thing that you're recovering from doesn't define you. Your character defects don't define you. And whatever you thought you were protecting with your character defects doesn't define you. And likely it's a lie. I think the last thing I would say, and, and this is, again, something Caleb said that we talk about, talk about in recovery. In fact, I think the first place I heard it was AA. And AA talks about pride and pride in reverse. And, and uh, I don't think Caleb worded it exactly that way, but it was the same concept. And it ties into this idea that we can be just as prideful if we think we're garbage as we can if we think we're the bee's knees, right? That because what's really happening often when we think we're garbage is we think we're garbage, but we're the garbage at the center of the universe. Have you ever thought, everything bad happens to me? Everything bad happens because of me. That's pride because that's not true and it's not all about you. I was thinking today, why why did God save me? And the only definite conclusion I could come to is that he didn't save me for me. Let me say that again. God didn't save me for me. Maybe he saved me to talk to you tonight. Maybe he saved me to lead my kids. Maybe he saved me for something that hasn't happened yet. But what I do know is he didn't save me for me. He's fitting me to be of maximum service and purpose in his kingdom. And he's doing the same thing for you. And what's cool is you get to prosper along the way. But if we don't give up, if we don't surrender, if we don't lay down our character defects, they will stand in our way. Let me close in prayer. Father God, we, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your son, for his sacrifice. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know him personally, um, Lord, that they would make that decision tonight. And I know anybody wearing a badge would love to have a conversation with them about that. Lord, thank you for uh, 12-step recovery. Thank you for uh, Celebrate Recovery, that we can go to almost any town in the USA and find a Celebrate Recovery, that we have no reason... Uh, no no excuses for uh, not finding uh, the recovery that you've laid in front of us. Thank you for all the families and people that are represented here tonight, Lord. Be with them in their discussion. Uh, may it be fruitful and to your glory. Uh, and Lord, be with them as they travel. If it's raining, just keep everybody safe, Lord. And as always, we're grateful for um, their time and their devotion. In Jesus' name.